Do you want to set your child up for success? Is tutoring out of your budget, or perhaps you're someone like me who just wants to save money on private tutoring? Is this a big school year for your child? You know, maybe they're starting kindergarten or middle school. Maybe there's another milestone coming up. Or maybe your family moved. Oh my gosh, I moved so much when I was growing up. And the kids are starting a new school. Or maybe your child is ahead and just not getting challenged enough in class. Well, IXL Learning is here to help. IXL Learning is a fun online learning program for kids covering math, language, arts, science, and social studies. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or the personality. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. That's right. It is school approved. So make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And how to be fine listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash fine. Visit IXL.com slash fine to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Again, that's IXL.com slash fine. I love my cat tiger. And as my best friend, we speak our own language. What's that? You love your litter. He does, because I use Fresh Step Outstretch Litter. It absorbs 50% more waste and odor and requires less changing compared to Fresh Step Multicat. Less changing means more time playing. <laughs> right, Tiger? That's a yes. Find Fresh Step Outstretch Cat Litter in the pet aisle. Fresh Step is a registered trademark of the Clorox Pet Products Company. Certain trademarks used under license from the Procter & Gamble Company or its affiliates. Hello, and welcome to How to Be Fine. I'm Jolenta Greenberg. And I'm Kristen Meinzer. In each episode of How to Be Fine, we weigh in on what's happening in the world of happiness, health, and betterment, and we offer a bit of advice for those who want it. Now, full disclosure, we are not psychologists or psychiatrists or doctors or anything like that, but we are experienced self-help critics. We lived by the rules of nearly 100 self-help books for our other podcasts by the book, so we've tried on almost every kind of wellness trend there is. And besides, we're not here promising to make you all the best, richest, happiest versions of yourself. If all goes well, we'll just help you feel a little closer to fine. All right, Kristen, we have some advice questions to get to later in the show. But first, like we always do, we're going to start with our hot topic. What's our hot topic today, Kristen? Today's hot topic is marathons. I'm running to hear what you have to say about it. That was the <laughs> worst wordplay I have tried in a long time. But I do love some 
marathons. I love me a marathon. I love the New York City marathon in particular. Brad and I try to go out every year to cheer on the runners. Sometimes they give you a cowbell to ring and it's very loud and annoying, but also exciting and fun if you have one of the bells. (laughs) Sometimes we even take Frank out and we hold up his paw and he gives little doggy high fives to the runners and they love it. And they give him like little gentle high fives. It's so cute. (laughs) It really really is, in my opinion, the best day to be a New Yorker. And it is just around the corner. We're just a couple of weeks away from it, Jolenta. Oh my gosh, yes. And, you know, if you don't live in New York, you probably don't know this, but it is a day where people throw street parties. Restaurants spill into the street so everybody can cheer. Everyone wants to celebrate the amazing things a human body can do. People from around the world pushing the limits. There's like different musical groups set up along the route, like playing live music. It's wild. It is. But... (gasps) There's that famous Kristen butt and not the one above her legs, the contrary butt. (laughs) Yes, the butt is not everything about marathon running is actually healthy or miraculous or even admirable. And in fact, the idea that marathon running is emblematic of peak health may not be true at all. As usual, I am going to lay out for you, Jolenta, and for our listeners, Mm -hmm. a few reasons why we might want to remove running a marathon from our wellness bucket list. But before I do that, let's talk a little bit about the history of marathon running. Jolenta, do you know when the first marathon was run and by whom? Um, I feel like what I remember is some guy had to run from Athens to a place called Marathon, and it was far to carry a message. Yes. Yes? That is very, very close, Jolenta. Very close. The name Marathon comes from the legend of Philippides, the Greek courier. Oh, yeah. According to the legend, Philippides ran from Marathon to Athens in 490 BC to announce the Greek victory over the Persians in the Battle of Marathon, But time was of the essence because a Persian vessel was spotted changing course at the end of the battle, indicating a potential new attack or possible false Persian claims of victory. You know, Persia could just say, look, we totally won, when they didn't. It is said that Philippides ran the entire 25 miles without stopping, discarding his weapons and even his clothes along the way to lighten his load as much as possible. Right. And also, from what I remember, the legend has it that he delivered the message and then dropped dead, right? Yes, immediately dropped dead. (laughs) Yeah, like on site. Like, I feel like I've seen it in some Greek ancient play where the guy like reads a thing and then literally drops like holding the scroll. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And yet millions of people around the world have since followed in Philippides' footsteps It all started in the 1890s with the planning of the first modern Olympic Games in Athens. Organizers were looking for a great popularizing event, recalling the glory of ancient Greece. The idea of a marathon was proposed from Marathon to Athens, once again. Right. And when those first 1896 Olympics took place, it was a huge hit. Soon after, cities around the world began holding their own annual races, including the Boston Marathon in 1897 and the Tour de Paris Marathon in 1902. And here's a fun fact. When the Olympics was held in London in 1908, the marathon was officially extended from 25 miles 
to the 26.2 miles we know today. And Jolenta, do you have any idea of why? Uh, the metric system? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, the answer is the British royals. They are to blame because reportedly Queen Alexandra requested that the race start on the lawn of Windsor Castle so the littlest royals in the nursery could watch the start of the race through their little nursery window. And because the finish line was in front of the royal box at the Olympic Stadium, the foot race suddenly became 26.2 miles. Wow. Wow. Fucking royals. (laughs) But that's wild. I also had no idea the Boston Marathon was so old. Like, way to be on top of it, Boston, one year after the Olympics, being like, we got our own. (laughs) And they've been doing it every year ever since. They are no joke. Those Bostonians, they mean it. And they never stopped. And that brings us to the present. Over time, the marathon became an event not just for athletes and aspiring athletes, but for anyone who wanted to achieve peak fitness, test their mettle, and complete a seemingly impossible task. This includes celebrities like Oprah Winfrey, Ryan Reynolds, and Pamela Anderson, as well as self-help influencers like Rachel Hollis, Bob Green, and David Goggins. Today, it's estimated that between 1.1 and 1.4 million people complete a marathon each year. That is so many people. (laughs) I know, isn't it? Like, and also all of these people you named, like, I could totally see Rachel Hollis and Ryan Reynolds doing it. Like, no shade to either. They just seem like the type. But like Oprah, Pam Anderson, like, whoa. There are so many famous people who have run marathons. So many of them. But wait, Kristen, as far as I'm concerned, Ryan Reynolds is not a reason not to run a marathon. And I think you told me that you would give us reasons not to run marathons. Yes, (laughs) I do indeed have reasons. In fact, I have four of them, four reasons that fitness influencers probably don't want to mention, four reasons that your favorite self-help authors probably have never said, but I have four very valid reasons, all backed up with research, which are, of course, in the show notes, as always. And I'm going to start with what I call the number one and the shittiest reason. Okay, so you're going to talk about how you poop on yourself when you run a marathon? (laughs) You know it, friend. (laughs) (laughs) There's always time to stop at a porter potty. (laughs) So my first reason to not run a marathon is fecal incontinence. I have witnessed it myself. A little over 10 years ago, I was at the Boston Marathon finish line cheering on the front runners, and one of them, to the crowd's shock, had poo running down her legs as she crossed Mm. the finish line. And of course, being me, I immediately jumped into research mode, and I learned that this is so common that there's even a name for it, runner's diarrhea. Ah. In fact, a study published in the National Library of Medicine in 1992 found that 62% of distance athletes reported that they'd stopped for a bowel movement during training, 43% said they had nervous diarrhea before a race, 51% said they experienced diarrhea after the race, and a full 12% reported full-on fecal incontinence while running. That's a higher percent than I would like for all of those things. Well, and also when I think of like shitting on yourself during a marathon, I think of it as like a choice. Like I'm running through like needing to go to the bathroom. I'm choosing to just do it on the road. I'm not thinking about like, 
uncontrollable moments or diarrhea moments or nerves and stuff. But that makes so much sense. Yeah, it it would be great if it was all on purpose, but it's not. And here's why. For starters, during physical exercise, there's severely reduced blood flow to the gastrointestinal organs. And this just leads to abdominal pain and diarrhea and nausea for a lot of people. So there is a blood flow issue that contributes to this. But other reasons why we poop ourselves when we distance run include difficulty controlling our anal sphincter muscles. It's just really hard to do that while we're also trying to control our legs, our arms, our core, a lot of other things while we run for hours and hours and hours as a marathon runner does. It's just hard to also focus on that sphincter muscle and keeping it closed. And yeah, that makes sense. When you do a repeated activity, specifically like something strenuous over and over, like you can lose control of like a certain muscle group. So like, yeah, if your sphincters in your pelvis, in your like your quads and your hip flexors and stuff, if those all just sort of freeze up or give out, like, yeah, you're going to shit yourself. It's a little different like when I'm stirring something to help Brad bake and like my hand freezes up because I've been stirring icing for too long. (laughs) But like it makes sense. Yeah. And of course, there's the third reason for runner's diarrhea, which is just the actual physical sloshing around of the (gasps) contents of our stomach and intestines when we run. Slosh, slosh, slosh. Before you know it, out it comes our butthole. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You're like shaking up a little intestine smoothie (laughs) while you're going for a run. Oh my gosh. I never even thought of that. We're just like a container full of goo that we're shaking up. And by goo, I mean organs and bones. Like I know we're not full of goo. (laughs) Do you think anyone's listening to the show anymore? Did they shut it off, Jolenta? (laughs) I hope they've gotten through this like three-pronged shitty point. (laughs) I hope they've stuck with us. Yes, yes. Should we get to the second reason? Let's, yes, let's yeah, I guess poop, like right? let's get beyond this and move <laughs> to the second point. So the second reason you do not need to feel pressured to run a marathon is heart health. And oh. I know that a lot of us have been told that marathon runners are the gold standard for cardiovascular health. Totally. Yeah, they get their hearts pumping. They're rewarded with increased longevity over the long haul, supposedly. They look so fit. Look at those marathon runners. Don't they just look like the picture of health? But a 2012 study published by the National Library of Medicine found that the hearts of lifelong male endurance athletes actually contain more plaque and other signs of heart problems, such as scarring and inflammation, than the hearts of less active men of the same age. As a result, marathon runners are actually more likely than non-marathon runners to have a heart attack. On the bright side, though, they're also more likely to survive a heart attack, so I guess there's that. Huh. That's, yeah. (laughs) This is the the silver lining, right? (laughs) Like you might be more prone to them, but you'll probably survive it. Maybe. That's wild though. Yeah. Yeah. What's the third reason? So the third one almost sounds like it's from a sci-fi movie. Like when I first learned about this, I'm like, this can't be true. But it is true. Like aliens actually came up with marathon running. Oh, that was aliens. It's made for their physiology, not ours. (laughs) (laughs) So... The sci-fi thing is that marathon running can actually alter your DNA and not in a good way. Doesn't that sound so sci-fi? That is sci-fi. How? (laughs) What? 
A study published in the Journal of Physical Therapy Medicine in 2016 found that prolonged endurance exercise, including marathon running, increases oxygen intake by 10 to 15 times, which can then lead to oxidative stress. This, in turn, can cause DNA damage and alterations. And if there's a failure to repair that damage, consequent genomic and chromosomal aberrations can alter the activities of genes and thereby lead to aging, cancer, arteriosclerosis, neuropathy, inflammation, and lots and lots of other things that are linked to our DNA health. Whoa, whoa, that's wild. Isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, it sounds kind of daunting. (laughs) Yeah, I don't want to hurt my DNA. I like my DNA. What's oxidative stress? It's bad. I know about that. It's very bad. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I'm overwhelmed. What's the fourth reason? All right, this is something pretty much everyone already knows, and that's marathon-related injuries. Marathon running is associated with an increased risk of running-induced injuries such as knee pain and stress fractures with, get a load of this, approximately half of active runners in a 2022 scientific report study reporting having more than one injury per year. Oh my gosh. I believe it. I believe it. Every runner I know is like working on growing back a toenail or like (laughs) has to take it easy because of shin splints or something. Yes. Yes. It's not just the joints. It's all sorts of things. It's muscle injuries. A study published in the British Medical Journal found that marathon runners frequently suffer from lower leg muscle injuries in particular. There's also the dermatological injuries. These include frictional skin injuries like jogger's nipples, which if you've ever seen a marathon runner with a bloody two stripes down the front of their shirt, that's because their nipple friction with their shirt is causing them to just bleed out of their nipples. There's, of course, chafing and other abrasions, the things you mentioned with feet and toenails, Jolenta, all of that's real. And There's also even some evidence suggesting that marathon running can stress the kidneys even when hydration is optimal. So we're talking injuries to internal organs as well. Wow. Yeah. Just like it's a working too hard, no matter how much you replenish. That is a lot. And that all sounds yucky. That all sounds like painful, no fun. But I'm assuming you're going to say like, on the flip side, marathon running (laughs) is actually the best or something. I'm ready for you to flip this on us because that's what you do. Yes, I, I do like to not just completely talk about how bad things are. You know, there are obviously benefits to marathon running. Endurance running has been found to have a positive effect on blood pressure, blood glucose levels, insulin sensitivity, mood, well-being. Some studies show, and I'm not totally on board necessarily with these studies, that it is effective in all arenas of mental health, but some of those seem to overstate their results. Mm, Yeah. I don't know if you need to run a marathon in order to overcome your bipolar disorder. I don't know if that actually works. Yeah. Yeah. Things like that. And if you love the idea of running a marathon, I say go for it, but please just make sure you're doing it under the advisement of a doctor, a physical therapist, or other trusted medical professional. As we already mentioned, at least half of marathon runners have multiple injuries per year. And so this is really, really hard on your body. Be serious about taking care of yourself throughout. Please be honest with yourself if you're feeling any pain. 
don't feel the need to be a hero like Philippides, lest we forget yeah. he died after running that first marathon. You don't need to be like him. It's okay to not run a marathon. It's totally okay to just be like, you know what? That's not my thing. Yeah. You don't need to be a hero like Philippides. I like that. But like, do what floats your boat. I know, Kristen, you dabble in like some long distance-ish running. You've done like, I believe, a 5K, a 10K, both, one or the other. Yep. I have run several charitable 5Ks. I accidentally ran a five-mile charity race that I thought was a 5K. That was upsetting because five <laughs> miles is a lot longer than 5K. That's different. Yeah. Last November, just on a whim, I got pushed this ad, run for the elephants. It's a 10K. And I signed up and I showed up the next day like, what am I doing? And I ran the 10K. But guess what happened to me after running that 10K, Jolenta? Did you get an injury? No. I had a gastric distress oh, for no. the rest of the day. <laughs> oh, God. I'm talking about pooping again. Yes, I am. Uh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, every once in a while, I just decide. I'm like, I'm going to be a runner. I'm going to do it. And then every so often, I'll see some post about like, <laughs> just did a 10K. And I'm like, what the fuck did that come from? Yeah. It's just weird. It just happens on a whim. I just decide to do it like at least once a year. I don't know what's wrong with me. Dean, though, used to do it in earnest, as you know. He used to frequently run half marathons. I was going to say, didn't you do half marathons? Yeah. All the time. Yeah. When I first met him, he was always off to run another half marathon. I'm like, oh my God. That is he a lot. He had to stop doing that because of knee injuries, by the way. <laughs> He's one of those injury statistics. Yeah. Jolenta, what about you? Have you ever dreamed of running a marathon? And has the information I presented to you today changed that dream or non-dream? So I have never wanted to run a marathon, and <laughs> now I really never want to run a marathon. <laughs> and I'm not, this is not an insult to marathon runners. I just know it is not for me. I do not have the stamina. I, like, don't have the endurance. I don't have the will. Like, I, it's just <laughs> not in me. And now I feel like I have, like, many valid excuses for why it's not in me. I can just point to one of Kristen's reasons. Yeah. I don't want to be the 12% of people who's pooping my pants. I yeah. just don't want to. <laughs> I don't need to be a hero like Philippides. That's what I'm going to say anytime someone brings up a marathon. I'll be like, look, I don't need to warn anyone that like we won the war. Like, <laughs> if I do, I'll run a marathon and I'll probably drop dead. <laughs> But listeners, we want to hear from all of you out there. Have you run a marathon? Do you have marathon dreams? Do you want to never, ever, ever run a marathon in your life? Share your story at kristenangelenta at gmail.com or weigh in on our private Facebook community. That's facebook.com slash groups slash kristenangelenta. That's where you can also send your advice questions if you like. And speaking of advice, coming up, we have a letter writer who's got some money questions. We're back with our first listener letter of the day, Jolenta. Tell us what they say. All right. 
Our letter writer says, Dear Kristen Angelenta, Lately, my 10-year-old daughter and I have been getting into a lot of conflicts over money. Her dad and I make a good combined salary, but honestly, we aren't great with it, and we live paycheck to paycheck. My daughter, meanwhile, is constantly asking for stuff that costs money. She wants a phone, new clothes, new shoes, new backpack, new water bottle, expensive summer camp, trip to Disney, fast food every meal. I feel like every day there's at least one conversation where she's asking me to spend money and I'm having to tell her no. Every time I tell her no, she wants to know why. I've tried to be honest about the fact that we don't have a lot of money to spare on extras, but then she worries that we're going to lose the house and blames herself. I have no idea how to talk to her about money in a way that helps her understand that our money troubles are not her fault, but that we can't spend infinitely. Oh, letter writer, I am guessing that a lot of people hearing this right now feel the same way, that they've been through the same thing as you. Money management is hard. A lot of people have no idea of how to stay on top of their money, even if they, like you, have a lot of money. Uh, A lot of people don't know how to talk about money. They don't know how to plan or budget. And money can be really tough. And it can also psychologically just be a really uncomfortable thing to talk about with Mm. other adults as well as with our own kids. So you're not alone in this. I just want to get that out of the way first and foremost. And I hope that you didn't mention shame in here exactly, but it sounds like you're not exactly feeling proud to talk about this either. So I just want you to not feel any shame about this. This is very common. I feel like I have experience being the daughter in this situation. And my mom tried various approaches and like some worked, some didn't. One that really stuck with me that I don't know if it was like necessarily that appropriate was when I was quite young and I wanted some like extra toy. And she was like, look, do you want milk for the next few days or this toy? That's how money works. And I was like, milk? Don't (laughs) think that's the best route, but it did make an impact. Another way to deal with talking about money is if your daughter is especially persistent about something, usually something big like a phone. I did this for a Tamagotchi back in the day. I really wanted it. When I was growing up until a certain point, we were on a very tight budget. And my parents were like, we're not going to give you a freaking electronic pet. No, thank you. (laughs) But I was so insistent that they were like, look, if you want this, like you can work and save up for it the way we would if we were buying you a present. Like this is how it's done. And I would do babysitting jobs around the neighborhood and do odd jobs for my parents. When they had a few extra bucks, they'd like have me do a chore for that few extra bucks. And I put it away and save. And eventually we had a big day where we all went out as a family and I got to go buy my Tamagotchi that I saved up for. Another thing that actually worked kind of well when I was a bit older, probably like eighth grade, this will really date me. I don't know if anyone will remember this. Kristen, do you remember Cousteau shirts? It was Cousteau Barcelona. No. I don't know if this ever hit Minneapolis. If you think of Phoebe on Friends, and Uh she wore these quirky shirts that almost looked like they were patched together from different shirts, and often they'd have a weird sort of almost abstract sketch of like a woman's face on it. And like the body would be green and then the sleeves would be striped in a different pattern and be yellow. Like a lot of Phoebe's shirts were Cousteau shirts. I'll like post it to Instagram. But those shirts cost anywhere, I think, from like 80 to like $120. 
And I'm talking turn of the century money. So it was even more back in 2002 Whoa, or whatever, or 2000. <laughs> yeah. So way too expensive. And my mom's like, there's no fucking way I'm going to buy uh, like $80 shirt for a girl who's still growing, you know. Mm-hmm. But my mom used me wanting this shirt as an opportunity to talk to me sort of about what was actually behind me wanting that shirt, which is like I was starting to understand money and like I was trying to understand people at my school had it and some people didn't. And the people who had it had this cool shit and like I wanted it. And oh, what does that mean? How does this work in my household? You know, we sort of talked about some people have the money to essentially blow $80 on a preteen, even though she'll grow out of it. And some people like kind of don't, or even if they do, don't think it's worth it. And then my mom taught me about sales and bargain hunting. Yes. Now you're speaking my language, Suzanne. Yes. We started, (laughs) you know, hitting the Nordstrom's half yearly sale, hitting the TJ Maxx's, the Marshall's, the discount department stores of the world looking for a specific thing. And it became kind of this treasure hunt. And eventually, on some random road trip, we found a Cousteau shirt that was marked down and then marked down from that and was like $35. And my mom splurged and got me some weird pink and like olive green Cousteau shirt that made my fucking life for a year. (laughs) But anyway, so like learning a lesson that's a little fun is sometimes better than like just a hard no. And like, why? Because we don't have the money. Because as a youngster, you might get sick of hearing the same thing every time. So if you can try to like distract them by like saving or looking for a sale, like it can help both of you. I think all of that is really great, Jolenta. All of that advice, I totally agree with. Except maybe the milk versus My Little Pony. (laughs) For My Little Pony. I remember like what I was holding. It was such a vivid memory of like, fuck. Well, I mean, maybe not that exact example. But what I like about that example, and I think there's gentler ways to do it, is to talk about the fact that we have money and we can choose how to spend it. We can choose to spend it on the toy or we can choose to spend it on this shirt or we can choose to spend it on this food. There are lots of choices that we make every day. And one thing I would say to our letter writer here is in your case, to impart that lesson while also being honest. And what I mean by that, making clear like, hey, your dad and I, we do actually make enough money We're not managing it well. We are trying to do better with money now. And then I would make clear that you actually are taking the steps to do better. You can say, Daddy and I are now seeing a financial planner who's coming up with a game plan for us. Or Daddy and I are now reading this financial planning book. If you want to also read this book, you can. Or a junior version of this book from like Susie Orman or whoever you want to turn to. But make clear like we are trying to be better with our money This is not a case of us being in poverty. This is not a case of you doing anything wrong. But your dad and I just, we want to do better. We know we're not always good with our money, but we want to do better and we want to teach you to do better in the process. Let's find a way that we can all as a family make saving more fun than spending. And let's talk about what that means to us as a family. And it's about prioritizing this over this, for example. It's about having a budget. It's about looking at the long-term instead of short-term gratification. And also, it's about practicing responsibility 
with what money we have. So Jolenta, what you said about having your kid maybe get an allowance for doing chores or whatnot, then they can practice with their own money at the same time that you're making your decisions with your own money. And maybe you can talk with each other. And I'm not saying you have to explain everything to your kid. You don't need to log on to your 401k account while they sit with you and see every (laughs) penny and dollar that you have in there. You don't need to do that. But I think you can be more transparent with them about the fact that you want to do better with your money. You've made mistakes. Maybe share some of those mistakes that you've made. And then learn together as a family. Learn, obviously, as an adult also with your partner. Make decisions with your partner. But also just make sure your kid isn't just feeling left in the dark and not feeling like it's a mystery because money shouldn't be a mystery. It should be something we talk more openly about, frankly. Yeah. And like the more open and honest you are with your child about money, the more they can sort of experience what it's like to have it and save it, the more it contextualizes it too. Mm -hmm. When they've saved up for new shoes and realize how long it takes, then they'll sort of understand the concept of like, oh, a phone takes like 20 times what it took to get those shoes. So it's like, oh, whoa, that makes sense. Yes. And like, that's how I started to learn about it too, which is like, you know, that Tamagotchi, like you have to save up for five of those to get that CD player you want. Yeah. Is this fast food meal worth a full six hours of babysitting that I right. did last week? Yes. <laughs> you know, one. things like that. Yeah. Right, right. And doing the math, it can start to, in some cases, help us to be a little smarter about how we spend our money. Right. But you've got this letter writer. As I said at the top of all this, millions of people go through this every day. Don't have shame around it. Just educate yourself and be as honest and optimistic about everything that you can be with your family and fix what you need to fix and move forward. You are going to do better and your kid is not going to be traumatized by this. We are going to take a quick break, but wait, before we do... Would you give us a quick rating and review wherever you're listening? It helps us know what you think of the show. It helps keep the show relevant. And we love relevancy. So give us a little rating and review. It helps other people find the show. And who doesn't like helping others? Coming up, a letter writer wants to know if the differences she and her partner have can be overcome. We are back with our second letter of the day. Kristen, your turn to read. All righty. I love this letter. Our letter writer says, Dear Kristen and Jolenta, do you think a relationship can survive without any shared interests? Like maybe the two personalities are compatible, but there are no hobbies, passions, or interests that overlap. I was up fighting with my boyfriend of four years all night specifically about this. He's a gamer, an introvert working an extroverted job. I'm I'm an outdoorsy, adventurous, extroverted type working alone and live pretty rurally with not many friends in the area at all. All I want to do is chat his ear off when he gets home, and all he wants to do is recharge, i.e., be alone. It's rough. I'm still learning how to navigate this. I've gotten better, but I'm stubborn, or I guess we both are stubborn. Well, letter writer, I think a relationship can survive without shared interests and with different like recharging styles. I feel like a lot of relationships are in the same boat as yours, mine included. Brad and I like have barely 
any shared interests. We always laugh about the time I had to explain to one of my friends, like, sports are like a big part of his life. And we like had a weird <laughs> a discussion about how like, oh, I guess that's possible. Like he likes to watch sports. Interesting. You know, but it's like the only thing we really have in common is we like watching performances together. We like watching TV, movies, theater. I would also add, Jolenta, you're in the same profession, too. And we do podcast. <laughs> yes. No. But we came to it differently. <laughs> um, yes. And their profession is the same. But like our hobbies are like extracurricular interests. Like you can't find Brad crocheting anywhere anytime soon. <laughs> He's made like two crochet stitches in his whole life. And you're not going to find me on like a softball league or waking up at 3 a.m. to watch the Women's World Cup, you know? Yep. But we survive. And also, we deal with, like, our different introvert-extrovert issues as well, especially because we both work from home now. Even though I'm an introvert, I tend to be chattier, and Brad needs more, like, stop-and-recharge times. And what I've learned is we just have to be super communicative about it. Because in the beginning, Brad used to kind of wait until... He was annoyed or like try to be polite and then be like, ah, I'm working or like, I can't right now. And it would kind of hurt my feelings. But mm -hmm. now we've gotten to a point where he's like, hey, I'm in the zone. Can't talk. And it's like, great. Got it. And also that means I can just come back later and tell him the thing if I want to, just not at that moment. So like there's still time to talk his ear off, but like perhaps maybe there's a designated like 20 minutes where unless it's like an emergency, you give him a second to chill, take off his shoes, whatever he likes to do, put on some sweatpants. I'm just saying what I would do. Get some water, <laughs> you know, like yes. that kind of stuff. Maybe the first 20 minutes are his or the first half hour or whatever. And then you guys sort of like sit down and like download with each other on the day. Maybe it's a routine or maybe it's just something that he works on communicating to you so you know like when it's an appropriate time to talk is you're off or not. But you guys will be fine. Yeah, I totally agree, Jolenta. People can have very different personalities. We can have different interests and we can still have very solid relationships. As you were saying, Jolenta, the key is to communicate and to also be on the same page about the important things. So by important things, I mean, what are your shared values? Do you have similar ways of seeing the world? Do you overlap on certain values as far as, you know, how people are treated in the world? Do you overlap as far as your sense of humor goes? If he says something that he thinks is funny, do you even realize it's a joke, for example? You know, you want to overlap on some things, absolutely. But you don't have to overlap on everything. And Jolenta, as you know, Dean and I are just like you and Brad. Dean— right. He's got his D&D &D group that he does every Sunday night. He's got his video games that he plays for an hour each day. I don't care about these things. He also watches those videos on YouTube of other people playing video games oh or gosh. Twitch streams or whatever those are called. Those are wild. Yeah. Not my thing. Not my thing. And he doesn't really want to join in on things like my book club that I'm in. He doesn't really necessarily care about some of the other hobbies I have, like going to live theater. He freaking hates live theater. He never wants to do that. No, never, ever, ever. But there are a few things we both like to do, and those things we do almost every day, like 
He doesn't like walking as much as I do, but he does like a short walk with me to a destination for like a cup of coffee. He's like, oh, I'll walk a half hour with you somewhere. He's not going to do a 32-mile walk like I will do in a day, but he will walk half an hour with me somewhere. And he likes to cook, and I like to be fed. So these are hobbies that overlap (laughs) with each other. We both like to watch popular movies and TV shows and be a part of the zeitgeist. You know, what are people tweeting about? We want to know what that is, and we want to talk with each other about whatever that is. So there are ways that we really do overlap, but there are ways that we're quite different. And I would say that in your case, letter writer, you may not like this, but I think the onus is on you to take care of that extroverted nature in you and to fulfill that not just through your partner. And by that, I mean, like, if this is something you need and your partner can't really provide it at the level you want, maybe join a hiking group. You're very outdoorsy. I was just going to say, we got to find you a hiking group. Yeah. Yeah. Or a bird watching group. Or some sort of outdoorsy adventure kayaking group. Something where you can get that extroverted need taken care of, your love of the outdoors taken care of. Right. Where that cup can be filled by people who are not just your partner. Because you can get certain things from your partner, but just it's not fair to our partners to expect our partners to be everything to us. And it's boring to get everything from that too. So boring. So boring. Like you'll get sick of it eventually. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. So yeah, I think the onus is on you. And I know that might not be a fun thing to hear. Like, oh, what? I have to change. But I just think your partner is not going to suddenly be the one who's going to fill all your extroverted needs. An introvert just can't suddenly become the person who is like a chatty Kathy every day. Right. That's not usually how it works, you know? But I know that you can do it. There are so many people to meet in this world. There's so much adventure to be had. And then you and your partner can reconvene at the end of the day and talk about the fun things you did with each other. And then maybe he can feed you like Dean feeds me. Or something else can happen where you're both scratching each other's backs and having a good time together in your own way. And that's it for this episode of How to Be Fine. Huge thank you to our production team at Stitcher, our executive producer, Nora Ritchie, our producer, Chantal Holder, and our composer slash engineer, Casey Holford. Reminder, we still have a Patreon. It has not gone away. It's if you true. ever want additional bonus content, Jolenta and I have it for you. To learn more about all that bonus content, including a weekly mini-sode where we talk about what books we're reading each week, because Jolenta, you and I both love to read, and we know a lot of our listeners love hearing us talk about books. All of that is on our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash listen to buy the book patreon.com slash listen to buy the book. Until next time, I'm Jolenta Greenberg. And I'm Kristen Meinzer. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. See you next week. And until then, stay fine. Stitcher.